0: the vagabond way podcast the journey goes ever on with the long road this episode ain't gonna fake it this week join the long road as we look back at memorable gigs and funny predicaments we've found ourselves in over the years kev and steve share a brand new song demo for ain't gonna fake it Uh, kev takes us on a trip to boston massachusetts to another inspiring record store and the bishop that's me i catch everyone up on my recent kitchen exploits the vagabond way podcast featuring the long road is exploring the world of the troubadour the adventurer the vagabond the world isn't beige it isn't processed it's authentic it's rich and it's real and if those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up then hop on board we are embracing all of those things we're celebrating all of that and we love it if you joined us on the journey Greetings, I am Chris the Bishleiden, thanks for joining us once more for another few steps along the Vagabond Way with a Long Road. Um, I probably say this far too regularly, but I'm amazed that it's the middle of October now, way back when, when we were planning our release schedule for this autumn, it seemed such a a long way away, Um, and the world would be a different place, thanks to Corona. Um, And perhaps the world is a different place, Uh, but actually, in sort of very practical terms, I've done much the same in October as I was doing in May, just chipping away. That's all we can do, really. Our latest release, if there's a god out here, is picking up traction all around. So thank you to everybody who's supported us so far. Do check out the spooky video by Kev Moore on YouTube. If there's a god out here, just search for that. Um, Find the track on Spotify and have a listen on Apple Music. Uh, We actually do have a Bandcamp page as well, which we've just about never mentioned on here, I don't think, or anywhere. Um, Bandcamp's a bit different to other music retailers. Uh, It was built by musicians, for musicians, um, and they take a necessary small cut of the sales of that pie, Um, To keep the platform running, Um, but if you buy an album or an EP off Bandcamp, you can be assured that the artists are getting the lion's share of that purchase. So, if you fancy helping out artists in a more sustainable fashion, maybe check out Bandcamp. Ours is at The Vagabond Way or one word, dot bandcamp dot com, or just go on Bandcamp dot com and search for The Vagabond Way. Um, All our stuff is on there. Reasonably priced, or if you really, really like it, you can actually pay more than the the list price to help us out, uh, and helps out Bandcamp as well. A quick reminder now about our YouTube show, The Transatlantic Connection Show. A new episode came out just on Tuesday, uh, featuring our friend Rob McHale and Charlotte Elizabeth, uh, co-founder of new radio station, Arc Radio, um, here in the UK, dedicated to Americana roots and country music. A-R-C, ARC, you see? Checking out the episode on YouTube, just search Transatlantic Connection Show and you'll find it. And you'll find out all about Rob and Charlotte. Oh, and before I forget to mention, we're taking a break from the podcast for just one week next week. So no episode next week, but we'll be back on October the 30th with our regular weekly shows. Probably right through to the end of the year. Um, today's show is episode 40. Uh, and fans of the show will know how much I love an arbitrary number-based milestone. So, 40 it is. Anyway. The first segment on today's show, uh, as is tradition now, features me, Kev Moore, and Steve Bonham. Together, we form The Long Road. Uh, We're talking about something either serious or silly. Uh, This week, I think it's a bit of both. Um, We thought we'd take a look back at our musical escapades over the years and pick out a few choice moments to go down as memorable gigs or funny predicaments we found ourselves in. So, over to me. (laughs) Here we are again together, the three members of the Long Road. We've got Kev at home in Spain. He's going to give us his regional introduction. Hola. And then we've got Steve at home in Derbyshire, and no doubt he'll give us a suitably regional introduction as well. I hope me luck. And we've got me, Chris the Bishlein, at home in Manchester this bit always feels a bit like the uh, Eurovision song contest when we go to each individual country for the votes yeah, yeah nilpoir <laughs> so i suppose over the course of lockdown we've we've all been sort of trying to look ahead and see what we can do in the future and trying to work out what we're doing right now and i guess a bit of looking back as well trying to you know reflect on things how they were how they were before and um, you know what we're what we're missing um, and I guess, fairly obviously for us three, we were missing, you know, before performing live. Um, but it, it got me thinking, you know, what are the what are the memorable gigs we've done over the years? What are the remarkable situations we've found ourselves in, um, in the course of our uh, musical escapades over the years? I mean, for one thing, I feel very lucky
1: when I look at all my musician friends around the world, literally all over the world, uh, that I have managed to do about six or seven shows since since lockdown, which is actually um, about the same amount I did in the week before lockdown. (laughs) So that's where we're at. But I feel incredibly grateful. But, yeah, I look back at at shows, um, memorable and otherwise. One of my most memorable would be one that um, I played in Scotland uh, and it was in a village and it was with Saxon and uh, it was when they'd split into the two bands and I was touring as the as a singer with them, with Graham Oliver's version. And uh, there was a guy that owned a hotel uh, in... It, it wasn't, in fact, calling it a village is overselling it. It was a crossroads up in the wilds. And the, the, the hotel was on one corner and there was a phone box on the other corner. And that's it. <laughs> and uh, this guy got in touch with me and said, I want to put Saxon on at my hotel. To which the first answer was, are you insane? The, the manager at the time thought, this is quite a good publicity thing. And so it happened. It ended up in the Scottish Sun, a big article about it. We, we got to the hotel, we were put up in the hotel, and, and they had a function room that would probably hold a, at the outside about 200 people. And the PA took up, like, half the room. (laughs) It was insane. And we thought, where are the people? And, And people came from, literally, from miles around. And all these bikers and stuff from all across the highlands, you know. And it was rammed and literally... If you've ever had this, it's not a pleasant experience, really. But in the moment, you're okay with it. The the the, the everybody's sweating, the condensation, and it f- it falls from the roof like rain. And and we kicked off, and the people are in your face, and it was one of the most insane, intense gigs I've ever done. And never forget it. Never forget it. It was unbelievable.
0: I got to actually the um that image of sweat dripping from the ceiling. That reminds me of a gig that me and Steve did together. Uh, I, can't, I don't know, six years ago now at the um at the. Dublin Castle if you remember Steve a remarkable night for many reasons oh god yeah <laughs> oh god for me i can instantly think of three things that make it remarkable um first yes that sweaty sweaty room you know the the, <laughs> the place was it was a, um the, 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 so the Dublin Castle is this pub in Camden um and you know loads of big names have performed there over the years um it's this not huge room at the back you know i don't know 150 people yeah. i don't know hundred. i don't know um but it was packed and people were very, very merry and they were bopping around and dancing and they were sweating and was, they were breathing and the, the, the moisture was dripping from the ceiling. Absolutely yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Um, the second remarkable thing I remember about that show was the, um, the act. It was I can't remember, we were? We were the headline. We were the headline. We, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did the midnight gig. <laughs> we, were on, we were on last. So it means we got there early we got there first to sound check, um so we did our sound check it was fine, and then the band on sound checking after us, who were on going to perform before us, were this
2: oh God, yeah,
0: I think this is the right term thrash punk band <laughs> um and they arrived well, three of the i think there were three A three piece um and two of them arrived absolutely like off their tits they one of them arrived with um uh, somehow, five beer bottles in each hand. Basically one between each each finger, um, and then another one somehow magic <laughs> They sound checked and it was it was quite chaotic, I think. Um, the sound guy there was a lovely guy, absolutely the coolest character you've ever come across. So so just nothing fazed him at all. He just got on with his job and did and, and he actually did a great job. Um but yeah the, this thrash punk band, the bass player and the, the guitar player were off their tits. The lead singer knew what he was doing. He was very good. He knew what he, he knew what he was doing. So Steve left. I could see which way the wind was blowing here and thought, right, this isn't there. And actually, they were they were brilliant. <laughs> they were remarkably good um, musically. Um, and somehow, through his drunken state, the bass player uh, uh, was doing incredible things. Absolutely, Edward amazing. Guinness hands. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a slightly stark contrast in approach to, to a sound check, and then the, res- the musical results. And then the third thing for me for that gig was so the the green room at this venue was it, you know it was a box room it was a you know three meters by one meter kind of room you just enough space to put some you put your your instrument cases basically but um, so my key so yeah we I I can't I can't remember the timing of things but my keyboard ended up um, in there out of its case but just you know up against the wall you know loads of instruments in there um but we got got back to it later on and i can't remember what, at what point in the evening this was but got back to it later on that evening and i noticed there was a a thin drizzle of vomit dripping down it from the the, the top end uh and i thought oh good somebody's vomited on my keyboard um that just about <laughs> that just about rounds up today's day it's a good job
1: you experienced that as well steve because i don't know if you can top that story really <laughs>
2: I mean the whole thing was bizarre. I mean it, it summed up to me the whole uh, whole experience of being a you know band on the, on uh, in the lower echelons of the music industry uh, mm. uh, because the van broke down after oh God,
0: that. God yeah, forgot about that. The
2: van broke down after that. So we were then marooned in the, in the middle of uh, in London including you know a whole heap of instruments and no way of getting home. The driver, bless him, uh, our mate Dave, he spent four hours because it was a hired, you know, band bus, you know, mm. uh, trying to get a guy to own the thing, and eventually, at about midnight. Oh, oh no, no, no it's think... later than that. We ended up sitting in this girl's flat. It was a friend of my daughter's, and you know, she was in this very quiet, nice flat, and then all of a sudden four sweaty, smelly musicians turn up with keyboards, of course, bloody tubers, guitars, fiddles, and, and they were all sitting trying to be quiet, and of course we can't be quiet, and her, her mates are getting a bit agitated because the last thing they were expecting at 2 o'clock in the morning with
0: was to have to
2: party to a gig they'd not been to. Eventually the guy, I mean, Dave, is very persistent, the guy crumbled and he said, look, whatever it takes just get home and we we got a london taxi put all the stuff in a taxi who drove us back up to derbyshire
0: 400 quid taxi fare i think wasn't it absolutely crazy. unbelievable <laughs> Exciting times here at Vagabond HQ as we plan and rehearse for our upcoming recording sessions, getting started on our next project down at the Crossroads. Um, we're going for recording in small batches to match up with the releases of EPs of three or four songs on each one um, every few months. Steve has been sharing potential songs with us on the podcast the last couple of months, uh, and here is the next song in the mix. I'm going to hand you straight over to Steve.
2: So the song in the mix this week is a one. Kevin I've been working on, which is called Ain't Gonna Fake It, which uh, I should roughly translate for those who live in Tunbridge Wells as I am not going to pretend to be other than I am. So this is a new song from Kevin and me. Kevin and I have an interesting uh, writing relationship. It started way back, way back when uh, we were both kicking around in bands in our teens. We used to rehearse sometimes in my dad's old garage in the middle of winter in duffel coats and woolly hats. It was freezing, I can remember. All I can remember is freezing. Um, and Kevin and I wrote a song called um, Mr Average Sunday Man. It wasn't a great song. I don't think we ever played it. Anyway, then we our, our ways parted and we didn't see each other for well, nearly 40 years. And then through the uh, the arcane mysteries of Facebook, uh, we got back in touch and we, we, we have regularly written songs since then. It was probably nearly 40 years between the first song and the second, which makes us A, one of the longest-running writing partnerships in musical history, and B, one of the least productive. The basis of this song uh, is... Back from those days, I mean, I'm a bit of a hoarder and I have hundreds of scraps of paper with ideas and and for some bizarre reason I can never bring myself to, to chuck any of them out just in case. And I've been strumming this song to myself for, for many years without it really going anywhere and the people I were, was playing with along that time weren't that interested in making something of it. Then I started playing it again on a new twelve-string guitar that I bought, and I just, I just liked it. I liked it. Just before Kev set off on his enormous hike through Spain, um, I sent him a rough version of it and said, um, "What do you think of this?" And, and that very night, he came back with the uh, the demo you're about to hear. I love it. Got to confess, I love it. It may not be. The most original song ever written, but everything about it works for me. And what's really fun with this song is Kev and I've had hands in both parts, if you put an expression. We've uh, both the tune and, and the lyrics. In fact, the lyrics on this one are mostly Kev's, virtually all Kev's, so, um, except for the, the hook, I think. The song originally was a kind of expression of teenage rebelliousness, and Kev's. Lyric has turned it into a song about rebelliousness of, uh, shall we say, a more vintage kind. I was born in the in the sixties. I'm I'm too young to be a hippie, but the the kind of memories and values that were around uh, at the time, yeah, have certainly shaped my life. And 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 it's very easy to be cynical about that. You know, it it was a time of hope that was. Definitely flawed of ideals that were inevitably compromised. Optimism, maybe that was some ways misplaced, but that hope, ideals, and optimism—they're still important things. And I—I I feel now I'm part of a generation with nothing left to lose. We may as well be the new radicals. We may as well shout for a better world because, because. Because, well, we can. We can hold people to the uncomfortable truth. We can tell those coffured emperors they have no clothes. We can say the world is worth saving from the deluge. I hope you enjoyed this. This is about a roughest mix as you'll ever hear from us. We're capable of some really rough mixes. Kev's got the vocal on this. Um, Underneath, you can hear me singing... In most places, different words. Uh, But boy, he did a great job. So, Kev, out there in Spain, thank you for this. I love it. One, two, three, four.
3: As my troubles disappear There's so much out there And there's nothing left to fear We've the carousel on the book of crazy lies The scales are falling And it's time to live my life Ain't gonna fake it Ain't gonna take it anymore Ain't gonna take it anymore Ain't gonna fake it Ain't gonna take it anymore In more.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Kev's Cafe Corner, which currently is in a virtual state. That is, it's a place where you come and join me on the internet. Uh, and we talk about some other things and at the moment I'm going through a run of record shops in various places that have piqued my interest and that I, I want to give a shout out to uh, because I think record shops are very important. And the one I'm going to talk about today, sadly I can't remember the name of it because it's a very long time ago, it was when I was touring the States with the Gonads in '98. And it was in Boston or thereabouts, a suburb of Boston, I think, somewhere up the East Coast. It was a really good one, you know, quite a small place, but absolutely packed to the rafters with albums and CDs and what have you. And the reason why this place sticks out in my mind is the fact that it introduced me to two artists. And while I was browsing in there, as usual, they were playing stuff on the uh, house system. And there was a guy singing who sounded extremely reminiscent of Lennon. And it was really, really good. The songwriting was really good. And I went and asked about it. And it turned out to be a guy called Michael Penn, brother of Sean Penn, who went on to work with and and later marry Amy Mann. And he's a really, really great writer and performer. And his albums are hidden gems, really, particularly the one that's called Resigned. And so I set that one aside to buy, and I'm wandering around again. And this song came on that I can only describe as one of the most commercial, superbly written three-minute pop songs I've ever heard in my life, right on a par with the likes of the Beach Boys and the Beatles and The Move. And it was a guy called Will Owsley, recording under the name of just simply Owsley. And it was the track of his first album, I think, uh, and it was called Oh No, The Radio, and it was just a masterclass in how to write a hit single. And yet, as is the way, it never became one. And he recorded two solo albums and very, very sadly took his own life in Tennessee uh, some years back. An incredibly wasted talent. And if you get a chance to pick up either of his albums, Owsley, Oh No, The Radio and The Hard Way, please do so because they're uh, really works of genius, in my opinion. And that was my a uh, treasure that I found in that particular record shop amongst other things that I picked up that day. But I would never have heard of these artists or bought them without browsing that store and listening to what they were playing for our pleasure. Another plus from that particular day was across the road was a cafe, a real cafe that served pancakes. And I think there was a stack of 10 that you could get. And if you ate them all, it was free. And I did. And it was See you next week, listeners.
0: I think one of the great things about places like independent record stores is the surprise connections you'll make or find. Uh, You know, a rare disc to add to your collection, uh, a new artist to enjoy, or sometimes hearing about someone who will have a huge influence on your own music making. They are definitely an important part of the ecosystem of music. Uh, And somehow we need to be able to sustain that through these weird times and out the other side uh, and bring it into the the future too. What does a a record store of the 21st century need to do to be part of that ecosystem, to be part of that story still? Um, Something that we'll come back to in the future, I think. Also, I love to hear about a place that will give you an eating challenge and then the prize is the food for free if you succeed. Um, You'd have thought in my years and advanced eating accomplishments I'd have done many such challenges. And as it turns out, I don't think I can think of a single one. Um, I have always thought I needed to go back to Boston though, so maybe there's my reason. More from Kev next time. I've been more involved in daily bread this week recent weeks have been so busy It was more of a need to bread rather than want to bread situation Perhaps tipped a little too far in the last day or two the other side Um, uh, Let me see a fresh loaf a batch of crumpets batch of fruited tea cakes a batch of pizza dough A batch of waffles and another batch of crumpets to be fair Most of the tea cakes and crumpets went into the freezer though for future use and the pizza dough will last me for several days to come Um, As will that loaf. So I think it's okay, really. Um, But my topic this week is those crumpets, though. There's nothing like a good crumpet. To me, they feel very uniquely British, like pantomime or something. But uh, according to Wikipedia, they are popular in Canada, Australia, and Ireland, too. um, Related to the pikelet, although in some places a pikelet is a crumpet, uh, and that's just the fact of it. Um, These little. Discs of griddled batter with loads of holes and are a great favourite in my household. But how to make the best crumpets at home? Now, I've tried two recipes this week. Trying a third one is on the cards, but it will be an amalgam of several recipes. Uh, And to be honest, neither of those recipes were super great. Uh, Again, it comes down to the constituent parts, I think. One recipe used bicarbonate of soda as the raising agent. The other used baking powder. Now, the fear I've always got, keeps me up at night sometimes, is with baking powder. How long has this been open? Is it still any good as a raging agent? Uh, And perhaps in this case it wasn't. I don't know. The second batch, which was made with this perhaps dodgy baking powder, um, to a Warburton's recipe, no less, was distinctly flat. And the holes were not as commonplace as I want in a crumpet. The bicarb recipe from earlier in the week was slightly taller in stature, but actually still not as holy as desired, and took an age to cook through. You know, perhaps I have made three batches of crumpets recently, as I've got distinct memories of flipping some crumpets over to cook the tops. But this flipping, it gave it a very non-crumpet texture on top, more like just a pancake. Where are the holes? I want the holes. I need the holes. You've got to have the holes so the butter can melt into the body of the crumpet. One recipe called for just plain flour, the other suggested a mix of plain flour and bread flour. One, you rested it only for 15 minutes, the other one suggested several hours. So who knows what the right way is. I thought I was going to be onto a winner with this Warburton's recipe, to be honest. You know, Warburton's a big name in baking, but I was left disappointed. Jamie Oliver, he fared little better. So on the shopping list this week is a fresh batch of baking powder, um, some more plain flour because it just ran out, and we'll try again. I, I do. I know the desired outcome. I, I fear to call it a goal, after Steve's recent advice about not setting a goal, capital G. A crumpet two centimetres tall, you know, three quarters of an inch tall, plenty of regular holes throughout, a nice crispy base. I can picture it in my head. Now I just have to get the imbalance between my knowledge and skills up to the same level as my imagination, which is fed heavily by memory of very many delicious crumpets over the years. Uh, and crumpet nirvana shall be mine. I cannot wait. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening wherever in the world you are. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and now Amazon Podcasts. The next episode will be out in two Fridays time, so that's the end of October. Join us on YouTube for the Transatlantic Connection Show and become part of the Transatlantic Connection Movement. Head to youtube.com slash thevagabondway. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout-out to Ola Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, uh, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of things that we make. So, become a Vagabonder, that's our name for our supporters on Patreon, to help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things that we are cooking up. As a Vagabonder, you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive Patreon-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive live-stream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains and something that inspires others. So, join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds, and explorers for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige, it's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now.